Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, in two years, six months and 19 days, less than 5% of our population will be smokers. At least that's the goal of Smoke-Free Aotearoa 2025. We've got the attention of the world already with this. From New Zealand, a plan for the whole country to butt out. Lawmakers have passed one of the world's strictest smoking laws. There is no good reason to allow a product to be sold that kills half the people that use it. They have stated the goal of making New Zealand smoke-free by 2025. Smoke-free action plan may be the boldest in the world. But with alarming numbers of young people getting hooked on nicotine-filled vapes, can we be a world leader at that too? I think it's a really important goal that we should be looking at. I mean, we've we've introduced a smoke-free generation, but there's no reason why we couldn't be thinking about creating a nicotine-free generation. We look at the latest moves to curb youth vaping. Cotton candy and strawberry jelly donut flavoured vapes are too sweet for the government. New vape stores will be banned from setting up within 300 metres of schools or marae. There's a crackdown on disposable vapes, also known as single-use vapes and why some experts are playing the whole thing down. Kind of a different category, I would suggest, from a product that kills more than half the people who ultimately don't quit using it, which is what we have with tobacco. First, let's look at the government's radical smoke-free plan. Anaru Wa and Janet Hook are co-directors of Aspire Aotearoa, the research centre for a tobacco-free New Zealand. In terms of smoke-free 2025, it's probably not going to be quite there by 2025, but we'll be, we'll be darn close by that time. So I wouldn't get too hung up on it. I think we've had some huge you know, gains in terms of working towards the goal, which is dropping below 5% for all populations in Aotearoa. And what is it that makes us a world leader in this? Well, there's a few things. We've really changed the playbook, looking at things like very low nicotine cigarettes. New laws will mean only smoked tobacco products containing very low levels of nicotine can be sold. And reduced retail. A significant reduction in the number of shops that can sell them. Smoke free generation. We want to make sure young people never start smoking by making it an offence to sell or supply tobacco products to those aged 14 when the law comes into effect. We've also seen huge disparities between Māori and non-Māori smoking. And those disparities, while, this, while the rates have been closing, the disparities have kind of continued. And I guess that's where that led to some of our leaders back in the mid-2000s, saying, well, this is enough. We need to change the game, and the game is getting rid of smoked tobacco. And so that's what's been advocated among Māori. So I think that's one thing, is it's been led, initially led by Indigenous peoples. We need to change the norms around smoking in parts of our community. Māori leadership will be absolutely crucial to our success. What are the smoking rates among Māori at the moment? I think it's around 25% for Māori women, I think. 25%? It's substantially higher than among other population groups. That's going to be a big drop then. I mean, if we're aiming for less than 5% in, in, what, two and a half years? It'll be a huge drop. You know, when we looked at it in some of our modelling research that um, colleagues over in Australia did, and we were, we were sort of involved with it, found that the drop in, the, in terms of the improvement on in health equity, all, all causes of, you know, mortality, the, the contribution that that reduction in smoking is, is going to be huge for Māori women in terms of it's going to make a real difference to health inequities in the future. Encouraging this group to vape so that they get off the smokes 
is that a big factor in this? Well, I, I think vaping is a, a good option for people who have tried approved treatments uh, to quit smoking and haven't found that they have worked for them. And we know from the evidence that we have so far that vaping reduces um, the risks that people would face if they were to continue smoking, which is not to say that it's risk-free. I guess the thing is we've got to keep in mind too is some of those people might entirely quit otherwise and they might end up on vaping and be a lifelong addicted to nicotine lifelong and that's perhaps something we might want to think about you know in, in, in the medium term because it's certainly going to have a cost and impact on them. What what we've seen I think and correct me if I'm wrong Janet but as smoking has dropped dramatically in New Zealand vaping numbers have soared Yes, that's right. So we've actually now found ourselves in a situation where more young people are using nicotine products than in the past. So the Ministry of Health data, for example, showed that in 2017-2018, about just over 100,000 people aged over 15 vaped every day. And by the latest data, that's 21-22, that number had more than trebled to nearly 350,000. And you have looked at a lot of studies when it's come to vaping. I've seen the, the, the stuff that you've put out, your research. I mean, the New Zealand Health Survey, the ASH Survey, Youth 2000 Survey, Asthma Foundation, it goes on. You've both been studying this for, for years. You've watched these vaping levels rise. Yeah, we have, and noted some concerns along the way. Um, so it's very disappointing to be in a situation that we find ourselves in now where vaping prevalence among young people is very high. So the work that I've undertaken has tried to dig a little bit below those survey estimates, and we've undertaken in-depth interviews with young people who vape as well as the young people who don't, and we've tried to probe some of the factors. And what are they telling you, Janet? Well, I guess when it, it comes to taking up vaping, uh, curiosity is certainly a key factor, particularly the interest in the vaping flavours that are available. This one comes in salted caramel popcorn. Vapes are very easy for them to access and many of them will share vapes. What started me off was because my friends were vaping and I had a turn and I liked the cloud that came out of my mouth, so I just carried on vaping. It enables them to sample different flavours, to try different devices. Nearly all young people who we've talked to, they will use nicotine in their vapes, and that gives them physical sensations like head spins. I had to turn on one of my friend's ones, and I just like the buzz it give, gave me. Vaping can be a way to address social anxiety. As soon as, oh, if I don't vape, I'm not cool. You know, it's been kind of a trendy thing to do. It can help them to navigate entry to different social groups when they're at parties, but it very quickly becomes something that many young people find they can't do without, and that's an extremely disturbing and unwelcome realisation for them. They have to have them in school at lunch breaks because they feel so dependent on the wake-up in the night. They have to find the times when they can vape. They have to make excuses to go into places where they're able to vape. And instead of managing their stress and anxiety, it actually creates stress. And um, many of the young people who we've spoken to talk about the low moods that they experience. The moods from when they got none, the angry moods, um, they're shitty to when they got one, they're so happy and, you know, not a care in the world. Some of them talk about feeling very lethargic. That was, what, five minutes on the court? How are you feeling? A bit tired. You know, I can get all the vaping and stuff. I can get pretty tired easily. Yeah, just running 
up and down the court. Some of them have talked about giving up activities like sports uh, that they once enjoyed. These feelings, that's all related to the, the nicotine addiction. Yes, that's right. Many of the vapes that young people report using have got high concentrations of nicotine in the e-liquid. So this process of becoming dependent can occur very rapidly, far more rapidly than any of them uh, ever anticipated might happen. In fact, most of them don't expect to become dependent at all, of course. Anaru, am I right in reading the graphs correctly that you've put out in your research that young Māori women are the biggest vaping group, around 25%. That's what the latest Year 10 surveys are telling us. I guess it's a similar trajectory to smoking, and Mm. so um, hugely concerning. And I'd I'd like to pick up the point that Janet left off on too, is that these products are really designed to catch you in a sense. Like you you might try them in a social situation, but they don't carry all the the smoke that you've got to cut through if you're trying to get into, or if you're trying cigarettes. The flavours are really appealing, and the devices themselves are discreet much more so than they have been in the past so it's just easy to become addicted really quickly and so when I was trying to encourage young people not to start smoking you'd have you know we thought we had a couple of years to try and discourage them off the pathway but it's just so soon it's so quick that I just don't think these campaigns discouraging young people to take up vaping are going to be as effective as they used to be because it just happened so quickly and so insidious. Within a matter of years um, months, I think. Months. Or days. True. days. I mean, really, we're, we're talking about young people who can start using socially um, at a party over a weekend and within a couple of weeks they, they find themselves dependent on nicotine. Why is it that the young Māori women are taking it up so much more than other groups, though? Um, well, that's a, that's a really important question. We, we, we're trying to understand. My thinking is, and we often think about some of the health-related behaviours uh, in terms of you know, underlying you know, social economic causes and then behind that might be you know, some of the isms we get into society like racism or sexism and all those sorts of things. So perhaps with a young Māori woman, it's a way that they are coping with a lot of these things that they face in broader society. Māori men are about three or uh, four or five percent. It's similar to cigarettes. So I think it's that's what's playing out. One of the things with another colleague of ours, she's been doing research around risk-taking amongst young people in general, In general, and we've seen you know, worldwide trends in less alcohol use, less drug use, less uh, unsafe sex and those sorts of things, but vaping is kind of bucking that trend mm. to a large degree. We've got this group of people who, who haven't taken a lot of risks compared with the previous generation, and yet with something like this, they're grabbing hold of it. I think we need to remember that young people have have had these products marketed very heavily to them as well. I believe it's made for kids. These are 8,000 different flavours, I think, 400 different devices of vapes. There was a period of more than two years where vape product marketing was unregulated. So we saw it in dance parties and music events and rock festivals. When a brand becomes integrated into aspirational activities that young people enjoy, it becomes very easy to facilitate uptake, particularly when there were booths there where young people could try the devices. Um, We saw lots of marketing um, that presented these devices as lifestyle accessories, not as smoking um, transition or switching tools. So I think we need to look also at the environment that young people were in is is another core reason why vaping's become so prevalent among this particular population group. Screen after screen of people selling 
inverted commas, fruit. Of course, this is just code for fruit-flavoured disposable vapes, some of which contain 6,000-plus puffs on a, on a product. Now, we know that a typical smoker takes only about eight puffs per cigarette. So just do the maths and you work out how many cigarettes equivalent, cigarette equivalents are in a, in a vape product, which can cost as little as $15. These latest government moves and the reaction to it, some say it doesn't go far enough, others say it's, it's just about right. There are probably four key measures that they have uh, announced and I guess the most important of those is that disposable vaping products are going to need removable batteries and I think um, that measure was introduced because it was seen as a way to perhaps largely limit or perhaps even get rid of disposable vapes from the market but we've already seen on some websites that disposable vapes with removable batteries are being promoted so it looks as though there's going to be a workaround and a much more sensible and comprehensive of measure would have been to say actually these these products are designed to target young people, we don't believe that's an acceptable thing to do so they're no longer allowed within the the market here in Aotearoa and I think importantly for people who smoke a disposable vape actually doesn't have high utility because people who smoke and who are switching to vaping need a product that they're going to be able to refill and that's going to be able to serve them over a much longer period of time. Uh, Some of the others are are that there's going to be a small protective perimeter around schools and marae where um, vape stores, specialist vape stores won't be able to operate but of course it does nothing to address the stores that are already operating. The third measure is about the flavour names. Um, So names like blueberry bubblegum, for example, I I believe are going to be labelled more generically as berry. But of course, the real problem is the flavours themselves. And we simply don't need thousands of flavours that we have at the moment to support people who are smoking to try and switch. Uh, And the final thing is that the nicotine content is going to be limited. Now, I don't I don't think I've seen uh, details published yet of the, the new maximum level, uh, but I really hope that it brings Aotearoa uh, back in line with um, some of the other jurisdictions that have lower limits at the moment. Let's look at the debate over this. Even the experts didn't seem to agree on vaping and just how how bad it is. There are many indicators uh, you know, that vaping is, is not benign uh, for health. However, in terms of actually a disease or illness as a result of vaping, it's much, been much harder to pin that down. And there is that thing of balancing it, isn't there, between uh, the people who are trying to quit smoking and using them as a legitimate quit tool and then hooking more young people. So should we have gone as far as Australia's proposal and just have them as prescription only? I think one of the challenges with the prescription only is that it creates a cost ballot barrier for people who 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 really need vapes as an alternative to help them to quit or whatever, but it adds a you know it adds a cost to them. In some cases, that'll be between forty and seventy dollars. So we don't really want to do that. But the balance issue is really important because I think there's a, we're talking about harm, and so from a smoker's perspective, a vape represents reduced harm compared to cigarettes. For somebody who's never vaped. It's increased harm because sucking anything into your lungs is, is not is not a good idea. And in fact, we don't truly know the impacts that these are going to have on never smokers um, for quite some years to come because it takes a while for that sort of evidence to evolve. 
the typical vapor who vapes daily, they take about 500 puffs a day, where the average smoker takes only around about 100. And those, what, they, what they're inhaling into their lungs is, of course, nicotine. But most worryingly, I think, it's a lot of um, artificial chemicals which have got cute sort of names like, you know, mango or coconut, but they are, in fact, just artificial chemicals made in labs. We should stop thinking about vapes as a recreational product. They don't need all these flavours like Janet says. They can be restricted because people on long-term medicines don't necessarily have to have all the flavours under the earth. They just need to have enough so it's palatable. I think that's the problem and that's what the industry wants is for them to be a recreational product because that's where they'll make their money. Mm. So what are you saying, Anaru? That that prescription only is, is probably too harsh for the New Zealand environment but we need to get rid of all these different flavours. Limiting them to you know the bare minimum. That's what's hooking young people is the flavours. It's like the you know um, really to, you know the RTDs is was what the flavours got young people into drinking alcohols back in the eighties. So it's the same issue, but it's rearing its head under a different product. When we think about a balance, I think we should stop thinking about an either or choice between either supporting people who smoke to switch to a reduced harm alternative or protecting young people. I I actually think that there are a lot of measures that would be win-win measures. And so I've mentioned getting rid of disposable vapes, not going to, to have a large impact on people who smoke, but potentially a profound impact on reducing vaping among young people. And likewise, I think we need to, to consider much more how easily accessible vaping products are and get them out of dairies and other generic retailers because doing that would reduce the visibility these products have to young people. Now we've done work with dairy owners and they didn't know very much about the products that they were selling. So when you think about someone who's smoking, they come in, they want to get a vape, there are all sorts of questions that they have about how they can make that transition successfully. They need somebody who's got some knowledge of the products that they're selling to be able to provide that advice. So if vape sales were limited to specialist vape outlets where people know the products that they're selling in more detail, those stores are R18. So again, we've got a measure that would reduce the exposure young people have while at the same time making sure that people who smoke get higher quality advice. What happens when vapes are much more difficult to get hold of or that these young people realise that they need to get off them and they don't have support. I think that's a really important problem. We need very urgently to develop programs that are going to support the many young people who have found that they've become dependent on nicotine, don't know what to do and are desperate to relinquish that dependence. Um, you're right, we, we don't have those programs at the moment, so developing them ought to be a really high priority. Are you seeing any sign of that? There, there are certainly examples of programs from the United States and um, we've had some people who've developed those programs uh, talk in some of our, our webinars, but it's not a matter of simply importing something wholesale from one jurisdiction to another. And would they be a combination of, say, counselling and, I don't know, nicotine patches or something like that? That's certainly what, what some um, approaches internationally are using, um, but I believe that there are other approaches that are 
designed to try and improve young people's resilience, their ability to withstand offers when they're in social settings to decline um, vaping and I guess enhance their efficacy and help them to develop other interests so that dependence on nicotine is not seen as, as a solution to solving some of the problems that they're encountering. New Zealand is seen as, as a world leader when it, when it um, comes to uh, the, the smoke-free 2025. Can we be a world leader when it comes to tackling vaping? I, I think it's a really important goal that we should be looking at. I mean, we've we've introduced a smoke-free generation that's designed very much to protect young people from this incredibly harmful product that we know smoke tobacco to be. But there's no reason why we couldn't be thinking about creating a nicotine-free generation that protects them not only from the nicotine source through smoking, but also through vaping as well. And so I think we need to be putting much more thought into developing those sorts of cohorts so that we're addressing the needs of people who smoke and who need these reduced harm alternatives, but also thinking strategically about the long-term and the well-being of our rangatahi. Isn't it just a game of whack-a-mole? Okay, you sort out the smoking and they go to a lesser evil, you might say, with vaping. You sort out the vaping, would it be something else? Perhaps a nastier addiction? I mean, people often um, present that model, but that seems to be an argument that we shouldn't be doing anything about any kind of problematic substance. And I don't think those of us working in public health would accept that. I think what we need to do is to have much greater monitoring and better information about the sorts of products that young people are using. And then we, we shouldn't be mucking around for a couple of years before we introduce effective regulation, which is what happened with vaping. So we need better information, more consistent monitoring and then rapid policy action if we do see these alternative new products evolving. Often when we talk about vaping and harm, we tend to sort of put it within a you know, a biological frame or mental health frame, which is really important. But, you know, we've got to think about harm from things like vaping and nicotine addiction as being more than just the health and the mental health stuff. There are other, other forms of harm. If it's a lifelong addiction, it's going to have a huge economic harm. There's a social harm and there's cultural harms, especially from like a Māori perspective. So when Māori first talked about having getting rid of tobacco, they, they said tupika kori, which is addiction-free because for Māori, you know, vaping and addiction and smoking and all those things were one of the hallmarks of colonisation for us. It came with the early colonisation, you know, with the first people. It came with Captain Cook. It was used in a lot of our land sales. We see it as a symbol of colonisation. So for us, we've got to think about harm, not just in the Western sense, but a more holistic sense. Indeed, that's the sort of definition that the World Health Organisation, it's not the absence of disease, it's a resource for everyday living. And so I think that's important to think about as well. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Anaru Wa and Janet Hook. Kakiti anō.